Hello everyone, this is Jordan. And this is Emilise. And we're gonna talk about sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and Okay, not exactly sex, but sex work. Specifically through the lens of OnlyFans. For those unfamiliar, OnlyFans is like any other social media platform, minus the cute dog content and family photos. Launched in 2016, this service allows the exclusive ability for creators to post content and receive payment directly from their followers, or fans via subscriptions and tips. It's important to note, however, that although the adult entertainment industry has somewhat taken over the platform, OnlyFans was not created that way. Users can and do post all sorts of things, but amid the COVID-19 pandemic, young women and men found ways to capitalize on the fact that everyone was at home, bored, and ridiculously horny. According to a CNBC article published on November 14th, OnlyFans has 75 million total users, which is up from 30 million in May. So the uptick in popularity came strategically at the peak of the pandemic, when people were in quarantine. So for those who were already in the industry, it was sort of a way for them to make income virtually. But it also created a space for just about anyone, regardless of experience, to step into the porn world. Ariana Discafani started her account last August when she needed extra cash to pay for college. So I failed one class last year in my college semester. And since I was on financial aid, I had to pay back like my whole tuition. And I don't have the money for that. Like my mom's a single mom. I live with my grandparents. So I just started it. So I would like, you know, get money, be able to go back to college. So it's like $15 for a video of me um, giving a blowjob. <laughs> And then like 20, 25 for me having sex, depending how long it is. It goes up depending how long the video is. Like if it's like a 10 minute video, I could obviously charge more. You know, sometimes people offer me more. I'm not going to say no. So what, if any negatives, have you experienced since joining OnlyFans? It's definitely like the stigma around it. Like people like call me like a prostitute and stuff like that. They just say stupid stuff. Like they'll call you like a slut and stuff like that. I actually, something like, really bad happened to me when I was 15 like something really bad and somebody said that it was like that like it's my fault because I have an OnlyFans that like I like encourage girls to like for that to happen to girls like sexual assault and stuff like that and how do you think this will affect you once you decide to move into the professional world I don't think it should be stigmatized at all I mean I feel like if I tell them that like that's how I got through college you know like that's how I got through college that's how like I got my first real car Maybe if it's like somebody who's not like extremely conservative, they'd be like, oh, that makes sense. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to convince people that like have that mindset. Any final thoughts? There's always going to be boys that are stupid enough to pay. <laughs> so might as well take advantage of it, right? Only fans creators like Ariana and our next guest, who goes by the pseudonym Ivy Vernalis, feel that sex work is just like any other job and should be treated as such. Ivy is 22 years old and in her first year on the platform has garnered about 700 subscribers. I believe that sex work is a legitimate service and that it should be paid for. I mean, it's just like any other job, I think is really what people miss um, just because it's like literally like any, like you pay people to make you food, right? So it's like the same thing to me personally. What basically happened to me is that I like started my OnlyFans in about November, et cetera. I was in college, so I wasn't paying a ton of attention to it, but I was doing my thing, doing a couple photo shoots, whatever. And then when the pandemic hit and I was forced to like, I like physically couldn't go to class or like 
and that, that just takes away so much stuff that we were doing. So I was at home more and I was like, I definitely have more time to dedicate to this now. Um, and I got really into it because online classes are boring. I scraped over the finish line graduation wise. Not really. I have a 4.0, whatever. We can be smart and hot. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I was like at home. So I was like, all right, like, let me see what's good here. I like live in my grandmother's house and make porn here. And I don't feel, I don't feel shame. My content is excellent. I am doing something that I believe in very strongly in a, like a ideological way. Um, and I don't believe that sex work is unethical. So I do make like full porn videos. I love a lot of like costumes though and stuff like that. Um, and I do fetishy stuff. I do kinky stuff. I do, I'm bisexual. So I do stuff with all kinds of people, anybody who's hot um, and is consenting is a-okay for me. My subscription is $12 a month for everybody who are like subscribed consistently. I do sales anywhere from 750 to like right now it's $3. What really came to it is that I was doing sex work in my DMs, I feel like, on the like casual way, like interpersonally, just like one-to-one -one, and I didn't like it because I really wanted a middleman because I really didn't want any more men to come into my DMs and harass me for my nudes personally. Like that's, at least now they go through like a website structure where they have to pay before they harass me. I'm hoping to go up, but right now I make $5,000 a month. I mean, it really depends. Honestly, I get some, I don't count it. I mean, I do count it obviously. OnlyFans counts it for me, but I have two accounts. So I have like a free one and a paid one. I make like 500 a month, maybe if more, if I hustle on the free and like 5,000. I did 5.5K this month on paid. It's awesome. I love sex work. It's brought me a lot of fulfillment that I didn't know was possible. Um, a huge community that I adore that I didn't know would hold so much love and so much like, interpersonal femme connectedness like honestly I've, I've had nothing but positive I mean, obviously sex work is hard sex work comes with sex work is basically a mental illness because it comes with being harassed by men and being online 24 7 which is a mental illness in its own right and etc cetera, etc cetera. it comes with a lot of problems but I've had like nothing but positive experiences with other sex workers I've made great friends and I'm like having so much fun making art that I enjoy feeling validated by especially my like political stances to do with sex work because I do think part of my platform is like politicizing the work that I do and advocating for decrim and whatever the fuck else like I did sexy voting like whatever the fuck else I want to advocate for um because I make them look at my opinions as well as my ass. Ivy said that for her OnlyFans is the best medium for releasing her x-rated content. I am on other platforms, but honestly, OnlyFans brings the most traffic to my site because of the way that the site has like exploded through quarantine, Beyonce, whatever the fuck, a bunch of celebrities jumping on, which sucks for its own reasons, but does bring a lot of like news about it. You know, there's been a ton of news about OnlyFans in the past year. And I really feel like the traffic on that site has just spiked. I mean, the numbers should, should like support it. Soon enough, Ivy's parents were wondering how she was paying the rent. She told us what it was like to share her profession. One of my parents is aware, um, and that went actually, it went okay. I went as well as it could go, I think. And I, I don't think it's something that honestly we've like totally resolved because at some point I just think we had to agree to disagree. 
it was hard for my mom, but she ended up being cool. I'm never going to tell my dad. He's going to die without knowing. And I think that that's good. It's not his business. It's like not something he needs to know. I think she just views it as like playing into misogyny and like rape culture, she says, quote unquote. Um, whereas I actually personally feel, I do think that some people really do that, especially if you do like DDLG content or like age play content. Like I do think that there are people who do that. I personally feel like I just am giving myself a leg up on the patriarchy because I feel like this stuff, this kind of stuff was going to happen to me anyway. The objectification and the like interest in me as a sexual being, especially as someone who is, who freely expresses their sexuality. I really actually feel empowered with what I've done with it and like not letting that male gaze make me, I do cater to them in a way, but through a way that serves me, which is more like a stick it to them for me personally than anything else. She discussed how being in sex work has impacted her dating life. I was seeing somebody a little bit when I first started. She was super supportive and it was actually great. And I would be open to someone to being in a relationship now. I'm poly for work, obviously, because like, I say obviously, but maybe it's not obvious, but I like, my relationship is whatever it's going to be is going to be like, we're dating, but I kiss my friends for money. Um, and I enjoy it. Like they're, they're nice. Um, I'm cute. <laughs> I haven't had a partner, but I have been trying to like date recently and it's been interesting, but it just makes me like know that when I, if I am, if someone is interested in dating me, then they're gonna be even more in, in line with my values because it's just another checkbox for me. Ivy acknowledged that her current job could have an impact on future opportunities if she ever wanted to leave the porn world. I would love to do sex work as long as I am able. I would love to be able to do it in conjunction with another job. I don't know if that's going to be possible. Um, if there's something that I really want to do and I decide I really want to do it more and it prevents and sex work prevents me from doing that, I'll drop it. But this is really fulfilling to me. So if I don't find anything more fulfilling, then this is like what I'm going to do. And if, the, if somebody is going to bring it up and say, like, is this you? I really, I honestly haven't thought about it. Maybe I'll say no, but I kind of doubt it. I'll probably be like, yes, like, but it has nothing to do with my work life. And unless that there's something in the company, like policy that says you can't do that, then like, it's not your business. If it's not, I'm not doing it during work hours. And I, my job from you is completely separate. So like, and I have helped. I recently worked with a nonprofit for organizing sex workers around voting. Like there are jobs that I've held where this has been not only accepted, but an asset. And I guess I'm like looking for work where that would be the case. Um, if a company thinks that that's not a reason to hire me, if it's a reason to like not hire me, then I don't want to work there. I know that there's a lot of news right now about OnlyFans and there has been in the past year and bitches are like, look at me, like buying a house. And it's like, I just like want to tell everybody that it's like not like that. Um, you don't just like log on and then like have like a million dollars. It's just like, it's a lot of work. A lot of the people who make a lot of money had existing platforms. I just like want everybody to know that like what you see of people claiming their winnings, claiming their earnings, don't compare yourself to them. And that's not really real life. We wanted to know a little bit more about the history of sex work in general, so we asked an expert. The hunter-gatherer, you know, hunter-forager type societies, like um, women and children have a lot of autonomy 
and there's not a sense that men usually that men have any kind of ownership over women or women over men and whatever food you got everyone shared and the sex that people had tended to be more you know collective and shared as well and the land was to be foraged you know and and, and um, rather than controlled and owned so there was no impetus to control like women's sexuality in particular because you your 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 babies didn't inherit land because nobody owned land so if if nobody has to own land then you don't have to worry about lineage but but once men gain control of um of land and and gain the sense that they can make money and wealth out of ownership of, of the land itself then making sure that their women only have their babies and then their their sons are going to inherit that land means that women's sexuality become become something to control so you know the, the argument is that the first kind of marriage as we know it now was really a form of um kind of like a permanent prostitution relationship right where she was owned property um, of the husband and he had exclusive rights to her body so that the children she had would inherit that same land that material change in the relationship to ownership of private property has an immense amount to do with how women's bodies in particular are used and how captured and enslaved people's bodies are used in the process of gaining more wealth of land so it's it's and then as so from agriculturalism into industrialism um, and the rise of modern capitalism, we see that, you know, sex work became very much part of the capitalist system where workers are exploited. So sex workers are, have an extraction of their labor um, in the same way that other workers do. And some workers are kind of more fortunate than others and that they have more control over their labor. They get better wages um, than other workers, just like a coal miner or, you know, <laughs> a tech worker, or, you know, anyone else. There, there are some arguments that it's not quite that simple because of the nature of sex work itself that it's you know if you're a coal miner you know that's that's a pretty horrible job and it's highly exploitative but it's not the same as what it means to have to do sex work because there's a lot of emotional labor in sex work it's like a service work kind of job that's highly gendered and has its own particular dangers so you know where we are now is i mean it's interesting to be talking about sex work in this high tech you know economy right where it's like OnlyFans is like like a gig, right? It's like the gig economy for some people in a way they've found, especially during a pandemic. I'm sure some people make good money and some people don't make as good money, right? But the the ability for there to still be this extraction and surplus value of the work is still right there, even when it's high tech and online. That was Dr. Clara Porter, a senior lecturer in the Gender and Sexuality Studies program here at the University of Miami. It can be more than one thing, you know, it's not good or bad. On, you know, one side we have these arguments about women are becoming more empowered, right? So if a woman is able to, to use her body that way and then buy her own house, her own property, and she has more control um, in that situation, obviously that's a major step up from a trafficking situation where someone else is making money off of her and buying a house for himself, you know, instead of her being able to directly be the recipient of that money. But um, you know, the inherent problem is that this reinforces an idea that women's value is as sexual objects. Usually only certain kinds of women are the ones who can make that kind of money. And it can be seen as a kind of a way that society grooms young women to think of themselves as having a primary value that's, you know, based on their willingness to be, to, to engage in, in sexual activities that they might not otherwise engage in. You know, and like it is the destigmatization because 
a, a kind of growing consensus in our society that still seems to be just as anti-sex as it ever was <laughs> and conflicted about sex as it ever was, but just as convinced that, that women who do these things in some ways are condemnable, right? So it's like, okay, so maybe we, there's a little bit more space for them, right, to gain power, but are they going to um, really be taken seriously? You know, like, like what happens when women who are, you know, like using their sexuality and their bodies and maybe gaining some power from that also have a voice and want to be involved in politics and, you know, you know, want to, you know, be efficacious in other realms of their lives. Are they going to be written off, dismissed, diminished? Because that also seems to happen. That happens to Kim Kardashian. Um, I haven't heard Megan Thee Stallion being taken very seriously after she did this incredible performance on Saturday Night Live, you know, where she's talking about, you know, Black women need to be respected. Um, it seems like it's, she gets reduced over and over again to her, her sexuality, whereas men can, you know, revel in their vulgar sexual exploits and songs and, and, and sometimes often still be considered taken seriously. So I guess there are reasons to be skeptical that it's necessarily progress, or if it's just a certain kind of, you know, on the same continuum. I mean, there's nothing at all wrong with women being sexual. You know, that's, that's not at all what I'm saying. It's just that the context is, just, it, the context needs to be examined really carefully. Because, it, because it's, it tends to be only women who fit into a dominant paradigm of beauty, you know, that's, that's heavily idealized and, and very patriarchal. Um, it fits our, our categories of youth and beauty and almost impossible kind of ideals, you know, body ideals. And, and so that's, that's not a sort of all-inclusive body positivity message either. Dr. Porter went on to talk about decriminalizing sex work and what it looks like in some other countries. Uh, so in societies like, like Sweden and some of the Scandinavian countries, the, the way they try to deal with that is to illegalize pursuing sex workers, but they decriminalize sex work. And that's to encourage Swedish men to not seek out prostitution because they want to construct an idea of masculinity that's based on caring and relationships in sex. Yeah, rather than disconnected kind of non-emotional kinds of sexual interactions. So then if you have the state regulating things like um, prostitution, what you end up doing is having um, the state and especially law enforcement involved in women's lives in really negative ways. And so having the police trying to out there regulating sex workers is a terrible thing because the police themselves end up being brutal, right? So, so that's not a solution, right? So you know, keeping sex work illegal and targeting sex workers by law enforcement is just um, you know, one of the worst things you can do. It keeps, keeps women in the, in the legal system. Right. And so if you want real body autonomy, that means women have to make choices, even choices you don't like. Now you'll hear from Valerie Scott, a sex worker and sex work advocate. In this excerpt from her 2015 talk with TEDx Toronto titled Someone You Love Could Be a Sex Worker, Valerie sheds light on who exactly sex workers are. A lot of people have ideas of who sex workers are. The prevailing notion is that we either walk around in ball gowns, dripping diamonds in our penthouse condos, or we live in rat-infested hovels with needles in our arms. The reality is we are everyone and everywhere. We are regular human beings 
who do ordinary, everyday things. We have spouses, children, and pets. We are at the PTA meetings, and we are soccer moms. You may think you haven't met a sex worker before, but the odds are strong that you may have known at least one for a long time. To close things out, we spoke with Phoenix Kalita, Communications Director for the Sex Workers Outreach Project USA. SWAP's ultimate goal is to create a safer world for sex workers by ending violence towards and stigma associated with the industry. Phoenix graciously sat down with Emma and I to explain exactly what that means and how SWAP plans to get there. Well, I mean, ultimately the goal is decriminalization um, of sex work at all levels, which is going to be a very long time coming. Um, but in the meantime, we try to do a lot of local as well as state and federal activism as far as talking to lawmakers and policymakers to try to shift policies to move away from um, the sort of uh, like punishment-based system we have now and an arrest in um, prison type model that we have now moving away from that, as well as trying to prevent like really bad le legislation. I don't know how into all of this you are, but like the Earn It Act right now is sort of winding its way through Congress. And we're trying to get people together to oppose that because that is a horrific idea. So those sort of things. Earn It Act is basically um, increasing. Are you familiar with SESTA-FOSTA at all? Okay, so SESTA-FOSTA was passed a couple years ago, and it was supposed to be intended to stop online trafficking. This is like when Backpage got shut down. Uh, that's when this was happening. And so sex workers were left without places to advertise, um, essentially, because now independent websites like Backpage or wherever could be held liable for trafficking if trafficking was happening on their sites. And Earn It Act is basically like sort of increasing that. Um, it looks like ultimately if earn it passes, it's going to be um, illegal for third parties to have like private text communications. Like, I don't know, you've heard like signal app and things like that. So there's gonna be like a crackdown on sex workers who use those type of apps um, and leaving social media to monitor um, sex worker posts. So, you know, as you see a lot of sex workers will post about doing sex work or maybe post, um, you know, links to like their OnlyFans and things like that on social media. A lot of that stuff is going to get um, banned because it's going to be asking like Twitter and Facebook and other social media platforms to monitor that. And that's never gone well for sex workers historically. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's in Congress right now. We really don't want that to happen. Decriminalization is essentially stopping any sort of um, punitive punishments for being involved in sex work, right? So right now, depending where you are, you can be fined, you can be arrested, you can be given jail time. Um, if you're arrested and given jail time enough, eventually you can be given prison time. We want to stop all those um, sort of punitive punishments for being a sex worker. And we focus on decriminalization in particular instead of legalizing sex work. Because even in situations where sex work is legal, it still um, leaves a lot of sex workers behind because they aren't able to meet the legal requirements, right? So that can be anything from uh, essentially however the government mandates uh, legalization to work. So that could be sex workers are only required to be working in a certain area or only allowed to work indoors or, um, you know, being required to do like STD testing um, on a certain schedule. And there's just sex workers who will not be able to meet those requirements. So they will still be criminalized and still face um, 
you know, legal uh, repercussions, right? So arrest records, having to pay fines, possibly going to jail. And so that's why we focus on decrim over legalizing. Uh, well, decrim is gonna be a part of that. One of the biggest factors that, uh, one of the biggest issues that sex workers have is that there's a lot of violence enacted towards sex workers due to a lot of stigmas um, and misconceptions people have about sex workers, but also because most sex workers um, particularly who are doing in-person sex work are often working illegally. They cannot report to police when things happen. And so there's a lot of serial abusers. Uh, sex workers are commonly targets of serial killers um, and other types of predators or um, you know, just bad people in general who wanna harm sex workers because they know that sex workers can't report or because of social stigma that nobody will care for them. And so we're really trying to uh, alleviate those sort of things. And of course, decrim is a large factor. Um, educating people about sex work and why people get into sex work is also a factor and really focusing on destigmatizing the entire industry because a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions and it usually results in either thinking that it's okay to hurt sex workers because sex workers are disposable or it ends up in people getting into a sort of savior role and thinking that sex workers need to be rescued and denying sex workers autonomy and that's not really what we're going for either. Uh, what that would mean and look like is, again, really emphasizing on why people get into the industry. There's a lot of stereotypes that like, oh, you were, you know, um, you were like sexually abused as a child and you're a drug addict now and that's why you do sex work. And it's like actually a lot of sex workers get into the industry because they find themselves unable to um, make a living or survive um, essentially under this whole bullshit system that we live in um, without, uh, you know, being able to work legally. And, you know, that's a thing. Like if you have certain life circumstances, if you have a disability that prevents you from getting a straight job, or maybe you have to be a caretaker for someone else, or you have a lot of medical debt, you know, there's a lot of reasons people get into the industry. And instead of examining those and working on social support networks and um, social um, essentially like welfare systems to help people, working on services to help people, all that people end up doing, society as a whole, all that ends up being done is stigmatizing sex workers and saying, oh, well, it must be because you're a bad person. This is a moral failing. Instead of realizing, oh, hey, some folks need some help. Maybe we should restructure society a little bit. And so, you know, that is kind of a key point um, of focus. And, you know, that's why so many of the efforts, there's so much money that goes into ending demand or trying to stop um, sex trafficking or trying to stop sex work that are just not effective because the sex work industry, people in the industry themselves are not the ones being consulted. And a lot of that, again, is because of the stigma. So we really want to focus on those sort of education efforts of who is in the industry, why are they in this industry, what is the best way to support them as individuals? So I guess on a more personal level, Emma, how would you feel about starting your OnlyFans? Is that something you would consider? Would you do that? The biggest concern I would have personally, everyone says, you know, once you put something on the internet, it's there forever. So I would be afraid for a future job, a future opportunity, that that would be attached to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is a worry that a lot of people share. And I think that that really emphasizes our conversation about destigmatizing sex work, because while that is something that jobs will surely look into, if they look up your name and your OnlyFans comes up, they might look at you in a certain light. They shouldn't. And I think that's what 
our conversation here has proved today that what you did with your body when you were 20 because you needed money has no effect on your ability to perform your duties or represent that company. I think you're a more hopeful person than I am. <laughs> I hope that that will be true one day, but when? Yeah. When, you know what I mean? Can we actually look to a future where that is true? Do you think so? I think that we can. I don't know when that'll be, but I'm hoping that one day people will realize that you have no control over what other people do with their bodies and you shouldn't try to have that. Well said. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you.